Good afternoon and welcome to One Hour at a Time. Recovery begins with education and host Mary Woods is here to educate individuals and families and provide support through the recovery process. Now here's your host, Mary Woods. Good afternoon, everyone. Um, Welcome to our final one hour at a time. Uh, This is Mary Woods, and I'm your host today. And um, we have a special uh, last show for you. And we're going to be talking about addiction and trauma in the transgender community. Um, Certainly, the last two weeks, um, this is a very timely topic, and there's a lot for us to understand and and to learn how to be more... um, culturally sensitive to the transgender community. And so our guest today is Beck G. Cohen, and he is um, an MLADAC, and he is the owner and consultant of BCG Consulting. And Beck has uh, written articles and papers directly addressing the needs for training of staff on LGBTQ plus communities. He has spoken nationally at various conferences regarding LGBTQ plus communities, and he has created programming that is specific uh, for LGBTQ folks, and he's on the board of directors for the National Association of LGBTQ Addiction Professionals. And welcome to our show, Beck. Thank you, Mary. Thank you so much for having me today. I really appreciate well, it. Well, in some ways it's unfortunate that the, trans, the whole issue of transgender identity came up a week or so ago um, on a national level, but um, can you just describe for our viewers um, what it means to be transgendered and um, what what are the, some of maybe the myths that people have about folks that are transgender? Sure, yeah. So, I mean, I only have my own experience really to speak from, so... Um, and also, I mean, the experience of my clients that I've worked with over the years and friends and people that I've um, been uh, grateful enough to have in my life who, who have experiences being trans and what that means to them. And I think, um, you know, one of the biggest myths uh, around the trans community is that we are, uh, that being trans is a mental illness and that... Um, we are not stable, um, that we are not uh, contributing members to society, um, that, uh, that what we're, uh, who we are, are um, is just uh, false and, and sick. Unfortunately, that's, that's kind of the, um, what society um, definitely has, has said and has shown us um, over, the, um, over the years and also, I mean, also within the last week and a half here, um, coming from administration saying that, you know, we're, you know, we're entering into um, places to, in order to get hormones and to get surgery and things like that. And uh, that's really just not true. Um, many of the trans people that I know are actually um, more uh, acclimated and, um, and, stable than than most people than than cisgender people that I know um and to say that we have a mental illness um because we're trans I think is is really um one of the the 
most the harshest myth that we can um, that we deal with on a daily basis um, because that comes at us at all levels both you know I mean from politically to you know uh, institutionally and personally um, that comes at us on a daily basis so one of the things you've written a lot about is helping to educate um, therapists and counselors on how we can do better in treating the trans community so what are the things we need to do learn. Yeah, I think I think one of the things that we I mean there's a lot and I, I think I, I told you that we could really talk about this uh, aspect probably the whole show but um, you know, one of the main things what I would like to tell therapists to do and what I've um, what one of my most recent trainings is, uh, is going to be uh, about coming up here at NCAT is that um, is Therapists need to understand their own gender and sexuality before they can really um, work effectively with the community. And what I mean by that is is really diving into, you know, what is what is being male, female, non-gender, agender, bi-gender, whatever gender you identify, what does that mean to me? And for therapists, um, this is like a step zero. (laughs) Before we can work with the trans community, we have to understand ourselves first. Um, Because most people walk in the world not really even having to worry about what gender they identify as. They just are, right? You walk in the world and, and you were born let's say male or female or intersex, but, you know, male or female mostly, and you identify as male or female. And you don't have to think about your maleness or femaleness as much as, let's say, a trans person. So looking into workshops um, or looking into books um, to really look internally, turn the scope inward. Usually when I look at clinicians and train clinicians, I really want them to look internally at their own stuff um, because I think that is the most effective way to help clients is if the therapist is actually working on themselves. We say that a lot about trauma. We say that about recovery. Uh, all of those things that you have to work on yourself. And I say the same thing about gender. Uh, so that would be the number one thing. Um, So can you give an example of um, what should, if a therapist is working on themselves, what what would that look like in terms of their gender? Yeah. So so one of the things you there's there's definitely books that you can buy. Um, One of them uh, I really like uh, is the new um, it's the new gender the new my gender workbook um, by Kate Bornstein, and it's a it's a like a. It's a kind of a tongue-in-cheek book around gender and, and identity that really has kind of Xboxes that you can kind of mark off. And, and, and so when we're working internally on gender and, and when I work with a therapist on their own gender identity, I ask them about themselves, right? And starting from a very young age. Like I could ask you, when did you first learn that you were, you know, female, right? When did you first know that you were male? And what did your family say about that? Really getting into like a deep sense of like family systems and saying like, because if I start to look at that piece, I can start to learn that, okay, well, you know, in 
for example, you know, mom was the breadwinner of the house and dad was a stay-at-home dad. And what did that tell me about gender roles and how it affects me outside in the world with people who maybe didn't grow up that way? Um, How did I know, for me personally, and I I tell my own story in a lot of these these trainings and things, and, you know, I knew that I was different, I was a different... um, you know, little being when I was maybe four, three or four years old, um, it was pretty apparent to me that I did not um, want to have anything to do with being um, a girl or what we thought was, you know, playing with dolls, uh, you know, playing house, those kinds of things. I definitely wanted to be with the boys. Um, And that's, I mean, that in and of itself doesn't mean that a kid is transgender, which I want to (laughs) state. Um, you know, that that could also mean, you know, a numerous things. Maybe that little one just wanted to play with, you know, trucks and not dolls. Uh, but I was really insistent and persistent on who I was. Um, and it wasn't until I got a little bit older that I knew that it was, or I was taught that it was wrong to be who I was. Um, I was taught that, you know, girls do this. And, you know, they don't do X, Y, and Z. They wear dresses. They grow out their hair. They act this way. Um, Girls don't do, um, you know, playing in the mud, those kinds of things. I learned that pretty easily, you know, early, I'm sorry. And in that, um, at that age is when my depression set in, I would say. And so we're seeing a lot of clients come in who have the same, very similar experiences when they really can look back on their lives and start to notice where things started to kind of go um, south. Um, and, and most of that is that they were trying to fit into a social construct of what their gender was supposed to be or what they were told it was supposed to be. So um, I have a whole bunch of questions. One is how do you... How do we help families of transgender persons? Because listening to what you were saying, it doesn't sound like you've hit the mold of what your family expected. So, right. so how do we help families, um, you know, reconcile that that transgender uh, family member? Yeah, you mean like like as like from little kids or from like adults? Well, I well I guess. Um, <laughs> As an adult, because yeah. I'm, I'm sure that um, that that evolves over time. I know the folks yeah. that I've worked with. There's been kind of a split in the family, and then there's you know a substance use disorder, and then part of recovery may be trying to link back up with the family of origin for yeah. one reason or another. You know, so how do we help them? Absolutely. Yeah, you know, and and statistically, and I'm, I mean, I'm not big on statistics, but I think they're important in this aspect that about 50, I think it's like upwards of 58 to 60 percent of trans people are not speaking to their biological families. Um, so that's a big, I mean, that's, you know, a huge red flag for me as a, you know, as a therapist and, and also working with families is that you know, if there's a willingness to work uh, together with a trans person and their families, you know, that's like, that in and of itself is a huge deal, right? Because so many families don't want anything to do with their trans um, kid or 
family member a lot of the time. Um, there's a lot of pain there. There's a lot of misinformation and all of that. There's a lot of shame and stigma attached to be someone being trans. And uh, I think, you know, what I tell families is that first they should do their own work. Um, I'm going to do a lot of your own work around here is that is because what I see a lot of is a lot of grieving around, you know, um, when a family member has someone who's, who comes out as transgender, um, the family member will have this sense of grief and loss over the other gender, right? And so right. first I want to say is, is that is okay, right? We want to hold space for that. We want to hold space for that grief and that loss because, uh, or that the, the space for that, the, the grief of, of the unknown or uh, the what was, it's okay to have that. However, we want to have that grief and loss um, compartmentalized in a way that's not in front of the client, um, like the trans person. Um, so if I'm standing here and I'm living out loud, I'm, I, it's like my first, oh. <laughs> yep. We'll come right back if I'm. After this commercial break, um, to talk more with Beck about addiction and trauma in the transgender community. You're listening to Voice America Health and Wellness. Westbridge Community Services. Westbridge is a nonprofit organization dedicated to supporting the recovery of families and individuals who experience co-occurring mental illness and substance use disorders. Westbridge provides integrated dual diagnosis treatment for adult men and women using evidence-based practices. Visit our site today at westbridge.org and discover that doing what works in helping individuals and families gain recovery from dual disorders is important to the staff at Westbridge Community Services. Westbridge utilizes current evidence-based practices, consensus practices, and old-fashioned common sense to provide treatment to individuals and families that experience co-occurring mental illness and substance use disorders. That's westbridge.org, family-centered recovery for co-occurring mental illness and substance abuse disorders. Healthcare has been a major part of news stories today with one thing that has been consistent, inconsistency. Both healthcare providers and patients have to work around and get used to a constantly changing set of rules and issues. Nurses have historically been left out of this decision-making. Listen to Once a Nurse, Always a Nurse, exploring the world of nursing with host Leanne Meyer. Health professionals, we invite you to share your ideas and experiences while listening to experts in various areas of nursing. Listen Mondays at 1 p.m. Eastern, 10 a.m. Pacific on Voice America Health & Wellness. When a woman is diagnosed with breast cancer, it's probably the most frightening thing that's ever happened to her. Friends and family often don't know what to do for support, not to mention the patient herself. That's where Breast Friends Cancer Support Radio comes in. Join Becky Olson and Sharon Hennepin, breast cancer survivors and advocates. They help by providing inspiration, information, and most of all, hope. Tune in every Friday at 10 a.m. Pacific Time, 1 p.m. Eastern Time, on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Your life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health and Wellness. You're listening to One Hour at a Time with host Mary Woods. If you have a question for Mary or her guests, call now. The listener lines are open. The toll-free number is 1-866-472-5792. That number again is 1-866-472-5792. Now, let's get back to Mary and One Hour at a Time. 
Welcome back to Minority Time. Um, this is Mary Woods, and I'm your host today. And our guest is Beck G. Cohen, who is a master's level licensed alcohol and drug abuse counselor. And we're talking with Beck about addiction and trauma in the transgender community. And before we went to break, we were talking about how, how we can help families. And um, you were talking about um, transparency and authenticity. Back. Yes, yes. So I was talking about um oh when when a family um that that to give space for the family to grieve and um and have that uh, ability to to grieve the loss of the, the the hopes and the dreams that they had for this person that is now standing in front of them. But the really important thing to do is when we're working with families and talk to them about this is that they need to have that space, but that space shouldn't be um, in front of that person, right? So if I'm coming into um, to your office as a trans person and I have a family member there. Um, I'm showing my best self. I'm showing my authentic self. I'm full of joy because I finally come out um, of this, you know, of this hiding. Really, I'm, I mean, I've let it go, let go, probably of the deepest secret that I've that I've held um, for however long it is. It could be a year. It could be fifty years. Right. Um, so. If I come to you, the, I mean, the, the worst the worst thing that I see with families is that is that, you know, I come to you being full of joy and happiness because I'm finally, you know, I've let this secret out, and you're sitting across from me crying, going, "Where's my little boy? Or where's my little girl? And what am I going to do without them?" And so it's it's when I coach families, it's really about coaching them through. Um, it's okay to have that space with me, right? To talk about mm-hmm. that loss. But when your person is standing in front of you, be there and present in their joy, right? Be there and present in their happiness um, because this is the person you've always wanted. When I ask families, you know, when before, you know, your son or daughter um, or kid was born, what did you want for them, you know? And most of the time it isn't, to be a girl or a boy. That's not their answer. Their answer is to be happy, to be healthy, to be joyous, um, all of those things. And so now you have that person. <laughs> so like, let's celebrate that. Let's, and, and I know it's hard. I know it's easier said on, and said than done. I know that there's a lot of stigma and shame around um, uh, being trans and, and having trans kids and, and what, what is everyone going to think? But that's something for the families to work on outside of their relationship with their person. And during our break, um, you and I were talking about the parallels between coming out as trans or um, gay and coming out in terms of recovery, could you speak a little bit more about that parallel? Sure. Yeah. So, you know, the <laughs> there's a coming out process um, that is uh, it's a little antiquated, but I think it's a good model. Um, it's a cast model of coming out, uh, and you, your listeners can look it up. They probably have seen it. Uh, it's it's six levels of coming out, and um, please don't quiz me on what they are, but. Uh, <laughs> But, like, the the process is the same, right? So the first process is, the, the you know, the first step, you know, and, and I want to say it's not like a levels. It's it's definitely cyclical and, and can go back and forth. But, um, you know, the first, the first uh, real, like, stage is am I or am I not, right? And so am I, um, you know, gay 
or am I, you know, am I an addict? Those, those two questions are definitely like the first, um, you know, questions we ask. Um, you know, I, I wonder like what is, uh, you know, am I, I get confused because maybe I'm not, you know, maybe I'm not an addict. Maybe, you know, maybe I'm not gay. Maybe I'm not trans. I don't know what this is. It begins with like the first awareness, right? Um, and then like the second stage is uh, identity comparison. So when we talk about, um, so I, I start to compare my life, right? So if I'm a, someone in recovery uh, or, or if I'm an addict, let's say, I'm going to start comparing my drinking to someone else's. I'm going to start comparing my use to someone else's, to the world around me. I'm going to start comparing, um, you know, uh, it's, it could be a possibility. Um, it's kind of a, you know, I'm looking at the implications of my use, right? And so let's say being trans, um, you know, this second stage is like I'm comparing myself to other, maybe other trans people. Maybe I'm... Um, Maybe I'm looking deeper into going online and watching YouTube videos and going, is that me? Um, listening to people's stories. And I'm just kind of trying to compare myself to them. Um, the, thir- you know, the third stage is uh, like uh, identity tolerance. And, um, and that's, you know, realizing in my, let's say if I'm an addict, realizing that I'm not the only one. Maybe I step into a meeting for the first time. Right. And I'm like, oh, I'm actually not the only one here. Like, I'm not the only one with addiction issues. Maybe I meet someone um, who is sober. Uh, And so I can finally kind of start to see myself in this this phase of recovery. Right. Um, Maybe that maybe I can be a person in recovery. Um, Same thing with someone who's trans. Like uh, maybe I I meet someone. um, I seek out others. um, I, I try to you know, combat those feelings of isolation. Um, and I go, oh, maybe I'm not the only one who has these feelings. Maybe I go to a support group. Um, and and then, like, the, the fourth stage is, like, this uh, stage of acceptance, like, uh, you know, where it's, like, I'll be okay. Um, okay, I'm, I think I'll be okay in recovery. Maybe it's your first, you know, um, maybe it's your first week of treatment, right, as someone who is in recovery, um, getting into recovery. It's like, I'm going to be okay here. Uh, I might be okay in this piece of being sober um, or in recovery. Same thing with um, being trans or, or LGBTQ, uh, that having some acceptance over, you know, who who I am um, and I can have a more realistic evaluation of the situation. Um, I can start to kind of see, um, kind of explore my identity in this way. And again, like this is just very basic, but I think it, it gives a good leverage piece of like what it's like to be in recovery and, you know, and then also being trans and how we can parallel those two um, in treatment because this is really about you know, what if I have someone who comes out in treatment? How can I really compare these two? They they seem completely opposite, but they're actually really really similar. Um, you know, the last the second to last stage is like um, identity pride, and so in recovery, this is a place where we would be um, saying, "Oh, I hate all normies, right? I really have to separate myself." And I have, right. you know, it's like I I I. I 
I don't want to be around anyone who uses or drinks or anything like that. And I can't, you know, and we, we have to have that to kind of where we would call it like kind of sinking our heels into recovery. Um, I think same thing happens for, for trans LGBTQ people is that, you know, we have to have this like pride in who we are to really solidify our own identities. Um, and then the last stage is like synthesis where we come to being that this is just a part of ourselves. This is a part of a greater whole. So me being in recovery, so I've, I've been in recovery 12 years, and and being a person in recovery is a very important piece of me. Um, but it's a smaller piece of a greater whole. Um, it's not just the, that's that's not what it's all about for me um, anymore. It had to be at some point especially in early recovery, especially in the first couple years of recovery. I mean, it was everything in my life. But as I, as I get comfortable in recovery and I get, and don't get that term wrong, but just become more comfortable in my own self and in my own, like knowing what meetings I'm going to, knowing what I need to do about my recovery, those kinds of things, it just becomes a smaller piece of a greater whole. Same thing with me being trans, right? Like I, I, it is a big part of me. It's what I do for work. It's, you know, it's, it's, it is a big piece of me, but it is, again, just a smaller piece of a greater whole. Like, I am so much bigger than me being trans and me being in recovery. So, like, it's just kind of, you kind of just have this moment of, like, this is me. This is all of me. All of these small pieces come together. Um, and we get comfortable in our skin. You know, we use that, we use that term a lot in recovery, like, I don't feel comfortable in my skin. Um, and, and addicts and, and, and people who are, are seeking uh, treatment, and I mean, we hear that all the time, <laughs> especially in, in admissions call. Uh, and so we also hear that a lot with trans people, right? Like, I don't feel comfortable in my skin. I don't feel, I don't know who I am. I don't, you know, all of these things. And so it's so parallel, um, the two together. And I think that, I think that in that, um, when we have people coming into treatment, seeking services, things like that, I mean, we're in the best possible place for trans people to um, recover, A, and then also get just more in touch with who they really are and in touch with themselves. So it's a, it's a, it's a, great, it's a great place and it's a much-needed place. The unfortunate thing is that trans people are seeking services and then they're getting um, a lot of transphobia, a lot of stigma attached to them being trans um, when actually we actually have a lot more in common with, with trans people than we, than we know. Is that overt? Is that like stigma and is that overt or is it subtle when somebody goes um, It depends. Uh, but I mean, I've seen it both ways. I've seen definite overt um, discrimination and, um, you know, a lot of it is, most of it has to do with uh, transgender women um, so that are trying to seek services in all women's treatment centers um, that they'll blatantly not allow them to be there um, based on genitalia. And um, there's actually no means, rhyme, or reason for that, um, unfortunately. So... 
so that's the overt discrimination, but then the covert, the, just, you know, the institutionalized discrimination, the, the covert um, is the sideways glances, the asking of inappropriate questions, the not even asking questions, um, being very... Uh, um, like ignoring it, like being ignoring blind to it, it completely, not, not affirming um, it. Yeah, I think I think you know, ignoring it's it's like ignoring ignoring it, but um, not not either addressing it or just not even asking the appropriate questions. Like upon entry, um, the appropriate questions would be, you know, are you, you know, what gender do you identify? What pronouns do you use? Um, one of the best ways to really um, get information, I think, from a um, a client is, uh, and this is for all LGBTQ, is like, um, do you identify in the LGBTQ community? Um, if they mark yes, then you would say, like, when, you know, how old were you when you knew? Um, so let's say the person put, like, five years old. And the next question, the follow-up question to that would be, when did you first come out to someone? And maybe that is, like, I was 35 when I came out to someone. So unpacking that, so if I was five years old when I knew and I, and I held that secret until I was 35 years old, there's a lot to that. That's, yeah. a, like, a clinically, that's a huge question we can actually um, work off of and know to unpack that 30 years of holding on to a secret, of course you're able to hold on to your addiction. Of course you're able to, you know, to, right. to, to lie about all of these things because you are lying about the most, you know, the foundation, one of the basic foundations of yourself. And that must have been very difficult. Um, so to even unpack we'll right that, to ask those questions. After, yeah, I'm sorry. We'll be right back after this commercial to talk a little bit more about how people unpack um, those years of uh, keeping secrets right after this commercial. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. Westbridge Community Services. Westbridge is a nonprofit organization dedicated to supporting the recovery of families and individuals who experience co-occurring mental illness and substance use disorders. Westbridge provides integrated dual diagnosis treatment for adult men and women using evidence-based practices. Visit our site today at westbridge.org and discover that doing what works in helping individuals and families gain recovery from dual disorders is important to the staff at Westbridge Community Services. Westbridge utilizes current evidence-based practices, consensus practices, and old-fashioned common sense to provide treatment to individuals and families that experience co-occurring mental illness and substance use disorders. That's westbridge.org, family-centered recovery for co-occurring mental illness and substance abuse disorders. Is your health where you think it should be? If you're like most people, the answer is probably not. Where can you get the answers you need to get on the right track? The answers start on Occupy Health. Each week, host Dr. Susan Downs and her guest experts will answer your questions as well as prepare you for questions you'll want to ask your health provider. You'll want to plan for your optimal health with Occupy Health. Listen Fridays at 11 a.m. Pacific Time, 2 p.m. Eastern Time on Voice America Health & Wellness. Sometimes it just seems that nobody understands. There's one individual who can help. If you're living with somebody who faces challenges such as autism, Asperger's, or other exceptional needs, 
You'll want to tune into Solutions and Strategies with Dr. Sean. Living the Challenge. Together, we'll uncover a variety of solutions to the challenges faced by individuals, their families, and teachers. Listen live every Thursday at 8 a.m. Pacific, 11 a.m. Eastern on Voice America Health & Wellness. Your life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. You're listening to One Hour at a Time with host Mary Woods. If you have a question for Mary or her guests, call now. The listener lines are open. The toll-free number is 1-866-472-5792. That number again is 1-866-472-5792. Now, let's get back to Mary and One Hour at a Time. Welcome back to One Hour at a Time. This is Mary Woods. I'm your host today. And we are talking with Beck G. Cohen, who is a master's level licensed alcohol and drug abuse counselor. And he is the owner of BCG Consulting. And Beck, you will be presenting at the National Conference on Addiction in Baltimore, Maryland. August, what day are you presenting? Uh, I think it's the Friday. Sorry, I don't have the date, but it's Friday at 3 p.m., that would be August 21st, maybe? 21st. Yes, 21st. I believe so. And what are you presenting on? So I'm doing a full, um, oh, actually, sorry, August, it'd be August 18th at August 3.30 p.m. Yeah. Okay. Um, I'm doing a full experiential on um, cisgender therapists working with transgender clients coming out um, in treatment. So what we talked about earlier in the show about uh, clinicians wanting to or needing to understand their own gender identity and their own um, biases on gender, uh, we're going to be exploring that uh, in a a full experiential way um, using sociometry, psychodrama, and things like that. So I'm really excited. (laughs) to. So we need some brave souls to come to it. Hopefully uh, we'll get some people. I know that experiential is kind of... Um, scare clinicians away, but if we make our clients do it, we should do it too. So it'll be it'll be that. a good time. I, I totally support that. Whatever our clients have to do, we should we should be willing to do as well. Absolutely. You know, in the first segment, you were saying that um, fifty eight to sixty percent of of people who are transgendered have no contact with their family, and I'm and I'm thinking that must be extremely isolating, but does that create a stronger transgender community because people support each other? Yeah, so I think it goes both ways. I think it can be really isolating and, um, you know, as we know, the suicidality rate of trans people is upwards of 41% um, compared to about 3 to 1% to 3% of the general population. Um, so that in and of itself is telling. I think that they're if there is no connection, we need we need to have familial connection, and, and and so a lot of trans people, and you know, more trans people these days, uh, you know, looking at family of choice, right, and and people that are closest to them, and bringing them in, and and a lot of that is community. So as a community, the trans community can be they can depend on each other, and they can um, try to connect with each other. It's it's. I mean, it's easier, obviously, in cities um, to find 
support in that way. Uh, the Internet is an amazing tool that has really brought people together, um, you know, and also, but also along with the Internet comes Internet bullying. Uh, so that can also, you know, drive people to, um, you know, depression and anxiety and, and suicidality. So it's, you know, it's it's kind of goes twofold. And, and um, but like we were talking on the break is that when something happens to the trans community, um, I think we feel it. We feel it through the trans community. So like what happened last week with trans, um, uh, what was said about, you know, trans people in the military, um, though it, it can't be um, done just by a tweet, it can, that those kinds of things do affect the community as a whole. And so what I saw on my news feeds, on, in, my, in my groups that I'm involved in, in, on Facebook, on Twitter, all those things, is that there's a lot of fear, right? There's a lot of fear, and then there's also a lot of coming together, saying, you know, this, we're not going to let this happen. We are going to stand up for people. We are going to stand up for each other. If no one stands up for us, we are going to have each other's backs. Um, at the same time, um, you know, this kind of, these kind of small traumas can really affect um, individuals that we really need to, that are, that are vulnerable, um, that are susceptible to bullying on a regular basis. Um, <clears throat> and then it comes down, you know, on a, on a national level, on a global level. Um, we also have to be aware of the, there are some of us who maybe can give more space and hold more space for the more vulnerable trans people that are out there. Um, because, you know, as, as maybe you don't know, but maybe some of your vo- you know your 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 listeners don't know is that you know trans women of color are way more susceptible to any to violence than any other demographic of individual. Um, the average uh, the life expectancy of a trans woman of color is thirty five years old, which is so young. Um, trans women are two times more likely to be um, to have violence against them. Um, around, we're now at, I think, 15 trans women of color this year who have been murdered because they're trans. So it's, you know, these kinds of, these kind of statistics, these kinds of demographics, you know, we are a vulnerable, susceptible community, though resilient as well. And so as therapists, like, it's really important to really hone in on the resiliency factor of trans people, um, and I know that prior to the, the break, you had said, you know, how do we unpack all of this? And really what we want to do is really start with the resiliency of, tra- of our clients who are sitting in our offices. What is the data for trans men? Is the suicide rate as high or the violence as high? Suicide, suicidality is amongst all trans people. Um, for trans men, uh, def- like the... And and with trans people, as we know, like um, you know, we probably know that the rates of of uh, violence is higher, um, or the rate of death is higher. But there's a lot of people who don't get who either get misgendered in media, um, or by their families, or people don't want them to know, you know to know that they yeah. they were trans when they when they died. Um, so so we know that that number is actually probably higher which is which is scary but for trans men there's not a whole lot of um i mean we're not seeing a whole lot of of 
um, trans men being killed that we, we know of, we are seeing high rates of of rape and violence against trans men. Um, and then also what we know of trans men, many trans men live, um, uh, a lot of them live stealth is what we'll say. Stealth is um, when they, they're not out as trans. So demographically we don't, we don't have that. But we do know that, um, that the, you know, Trans people don't go to the doctor as much as they, um, as much as as cisgender individuals. Um, so, um, you know, higher rates of, especially trans men, higher rates of cervical cancer, um, you know, breast cancer because they're not getting checked regularly. Because if I walk into a gynecologist and um, visually you see me as male, uh, you may you know, I've had friends who have been dismissed at the nursing station and saying, you're in the wrong place. Um, what do you mean you need a, you know, a pap smear, right? And so, like, why would I even walk step foot into that kind of space? So we're not making these spaces really um, safe and comfortable for trans people to go to. Um, and that's including, you know, that also includes um, treatment centers. Um, one of the one things that I, when I call a treatment center and I say I have a trans client, um, the one thing that I, the one question that I get all the time is, have they had surgery? And that shouldn't matter. <laughs> um, I don't understand why, why that, that matters for people, but it, it definitely does, in, even in the treatment industry. You know, it's, um, my, my head is racing as I'm thinking, like, gee, we need to change our intake forms. <laughs> yeah. As I'm talking to you back, it's like, oh, my God, we've got to look at the, our intake forms. And, um, and I think it's, it's that, maybe it's, like, really deep, but it's, like, just a lack of awareness to ask some of these questions. Mm-hmm. You know, um, there's, so, there's so little education and training that, that we get unless we go out and seek it specifically on LGBTQ um, issues. I know Nell Gap has been uh, one of the strong advocates for um, helping the addiction professionals understand and, and educate uh, us to the issues. But, you know, I know there are still clinicians who won't, like you're going to be, you just said, I hope I get some people to come to my workshop at NCAT. And just by the title, people are afraid to walk in the room in case somebody thinks, oh, my God, what if they think I'm one of those? Do you know? Right. (laughs) Well, I'm hoping that the space that I create is going to be uh, a space that, that that leaves open the, I think that what I want to say is that we need to, like, be willing to get into that uncomfortable space, right? right? Um, that I think that the intention is never, I, I, always, I always believe that the intention is good, especially in treatment centers and facilities that we want to help people, right? And so a lot of it is just really, you're right, it's just like a lack of knowledge, right? It's like, it's a lack of being informed or just like, this is what we've done. And like, and, and yes, we have seen a surge of like, you know, especially the trans community, like, of, of individuals because we see like media happen, right? We see this uh, a lot of media over the last couple of years. And, and so 
um, more people are willing to be out about this. It's not trendy or anything like that. It's just a willingness to like come out because they see people being out. And um, so, so we are seeing more people. So we are seeing more people seeking services from us. And we just need to play catch up. So, I mean, that's really what my business does. And we'll be right back right after this brief commercial. Opinions, options, answers. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. Westbridge Community Services. Westbridge is a nonprofit organization dedicated to supporting the recovery of families and individuals who experience co-occurring mental illness and substance use disorders. Westbridge provides integrated dual diagnosis treatment for adult men and women using evidence-based practices. Visit our site today at westbridge.org and discover that doing what works in helping individuals and families gain recovery from dual disorders is important to the staff at Westbridge Community Services. Westbridge utilizes current evidence-based practices, consensus practices, and old-fashioned common sense to provide treatment to individuals and families that experience co-occurring mental illness and substance use disorders. That's westbridge.org, family-centered recovery for co-occurring mental illness and substance abuse disorders. Can grief be good for you? Absolutely. It gets your attention, helping you evaluate your choices and relationships. Your losses define who you are. Tune in each week for Good Grief with host Cheryl Jones. Our show features those who have made incredible transformations by grieving their losses. You'll learn how to find your courage and strength. You'll discover the important things in your life and how to let go of things that are less important. Good Grief airs live Wednesdays at 2 p.m. Pacific Time, 5 p.m. Eastern on Voice America Health & Wellness. Do you find yourself caring for people in multiple generations? Are you exhausted, stressed, and overwhelmed? Instead of spending hours searching for resources and information, Dr. Merrill and her guests will provide you with practical, everyday information and solutions to help make your life easier. Tune in to Caught Between Generations, Thursdays at 12 noon Pacific Time, 3 p.m. Eastern Time, on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Your life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health and Wellness. You're listening to One Hour at a Time with host Mary Woods. If you have a question for Mary or her guests, call now. The listener lines are open. The toll-free number is 1-866-472-5792. That number again is 1-866-472-5792. Now, let's get back to Mary and One Hour at a Time. Welcome back, everyone, to our to our last and final one hour at a time radio show. I want to thank all of our listeners who have supported us over the years, and let you know that our shows are available at westbridge.org. If you want to listen to podcasts or download any of our shows, they will be still available on www.westbridge.org. And our guest today is Beck. G. Cohen, who is a master's level licensed alcohol and drug abuse counselor and owner and consultant of BCG Consulting. And we're talking about addiction and trauma in the transgender community. Beck, how can people get a hold of you if they want to learn more or they want to come and see you at NCAT on August 18th? Sure, yeah. Um, you can get a hold of me uh, at my website. It's www.bgcbridge.com. 
com, and um, you can email me at Beck, B-E-C-K, at bgcbridge.com and you can come see me at NCAD um, I also um, do a, quite a few talks um, around the country throughout the year uh, and you can find me on Facebook too <laughs> um, and also um, yeah I, I also work in uh, right before the break I was just saying that you know if you have paperwork if you have policies and procedures that need to be looked through that's what I do in my consulting business I work with facilities to increase their LGBTQ um, uh, cultural sensitivity by training, by looking at policies to address specific topics that they may be seeing and really um, cater to working with these um, um, facilities because the vision for my business is that, you know, my community is seeking treatment. The LGBTQ community is seeking addiction treatment, mental health treatment, and they deserve the best. And so, um, you know, and they're not getting the best right now. Uh, They're getting uh, basic treatment, but at the same time, uh, you know, there's there's things being missed. And so ultimately, um, on that back end, there's a higher rate of relapse and and so we need to figure out what's going on in treatment and treat them right. So I, I like to look at facilities, set my feet on the ground, see what we can, how we can improve um, uh, all, all aspects from, like I said, from policy, HR, marketing, to, um, to clinical work. So how can we be more trauma-informed uh, to help the transgender community? Yeah, I think... Um, I think what the, what we could do is get training, seek training out specifically for the trans community. Uh, a lot of the times uh, LGBTQ workshops are geared toward gay men, um, gay white men for that matter. And so, uh, you know, seeking specific transgender workshops, also doing reading, you know, going online, seeing what's happening in the world. Um, I like to, you know, go on Google and I have a, uh, you can put in different terms and get daily updates of news um, sources from, with that specific word. So I put in transgender and, and so I get like 10 emails, you know, in the more or 10 articles in the morning uh, about what's going on in the trans community. And I think that in and of itself is informing because if I'm seeing what's happening in the community, I can kind of get a sense of like what is, what's going on for, for my client possibly, what they're coming in with. Um, because they're not just coming in with being trans, they're coming in with all our that are trans. So um, that is really important. Right. So we need to be informed. We need to um, do our own work, look at our own gender, where we are in our own gender relative to ourselves. Mm -hmm. And um, we need to give family space to grieve, right? Yes. Absolutely. Yeah. Giving, if we're working with families, giving them, giving them that space to grieve. Um, and then if we have our clients who come out to us in treatment, if you have a client, I like to say this, if you have a client who comes out to you in treatment that they're transgender, I want to say congratulations because you have automatic, you have built such a trust um, for them. Like that is like the ultimate therapeutic alliance. Um, I also like to say like start with awesome. Like 
That is amazing. That is awesome. Thank you so much for, for, you know, sharing that piece of yourself with me. Like, start from there. Because we already have all the shame as trans people. Uh, you know, we have all the shame. We all have the pain that's coming with it. And that'll come later. Um, but, like, if I can sit across from a client and just say, thank you. Like, thank you for sharing that. Um, and, and really being there in that moment of, of celebration, then everything else will come, right? Like, everything else will come after that. But be in a moment of celebration with them uh, because to live authentically, like, that's really what we want to do. It's what we want to do as people in recovery, as I think just anyone, any human, like, really kind of really wants to reach that place. Um, And trans people, too. We want to be authentic and so be joyous in it. Is it better to have heterogeneous groups where there are um, a variety of, of genders and, um, or is it better to have a transgender group? I mean, do you know? Because we do gender. Um, well, I think, you know, I mean, I think in, I mean, if you have enough people to have a trans-specific group, cool, like you should, because um, I think there's a good space, there's, there's, uh, there's, there should there could be a space for that, um, but you know I think I think all gender groups are great. I think um, gender specific groups definitely have a place as long as we're placing trans women in women's groups, trans men in men's groups, and if we have someone who's gender nonconforming, allowing them to to choose the group that they they feel most that they belong in at that specific time um, is good as well. So, lasting um, message for our listeners. Um, you can do it. <laughs> I think I think that there, that uh, there's like a there's a fear and 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 it's okay to have fear around it. Um, but make sure you're educated. Make sure you're educated around the trans client. Seek supervision. If you can't work with the trans client, you know, refer out. Uh, I can't specify that enough. Um, I've been to plenty of therapists over the years personally and and worked with plenty professionally that maybe shouldn't be working with and that probably shouldn't be working with transgender clients. So refer out and know those people in your area to refer to. Um, but again, seek supervision, um, ask questions, not to your to your client. Don't let your client be the teacher, but find someone who will teach you is is really what I want to say. And, and there, there are a lot of, there are some people out there, me included, who would be glad to help along the way. Well, thank you so much for all that you're doing. This is certainly a huge need in our society as the last two weeks have kind of uh, informed us. And, and thank you for um, sharing this hour with us. And um, just so everybody knows that you will be doing your workshop at the National Conference on a on August 18th in Baltimore, Maryland at 3.30 in the afternoon. Yep. Thank you so much. Thank you. And um, once again, thank you to all of our listeners. Um, It's been a great run over these last seven years, and uh, I wish you well and Godspeed. We appreciate you joining us today for one hour at a time. Successful recovery from a substance abuse problem or mental illness depends on education and support of loved ones. Thank you for being that support system. Be sure to tune in next week for another hour of education and compassion. One hour at a time. We'll see you next week.